Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I'm your host, Scott Mort. A few bits of business to take care of here at the beginning of the episode. Got, I got some interesting uh, audio from my friend Corey. Uh, I'm going to kind of listen to it a few more times, Corey. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about that on the next show. Uh, secondly, <laughs> I... I had to do a whole bunch of new research. I This is one of the things I absolutely hate about Reddit. My, my lovely wife, Ariana, she sent me a link about uh, uh, somebody from NOAA, the National Oceanographic uh, Administration, uh, saying that it's common knowledge that what we're seeing in the skies, what ETs or... or if you want to call them a breakaway civilization, perhaps they've always been here, that they live in the ocean. And it was, it was some fascinating stuff. It was a post on Reddit, and I bookmarked it. I went back to it yesterday, and it was gone. And it was just, it was frustrating. I hate that, I hate that things aren't as permanent as they should be on that website. It was... It was really, really frustrating. And third and finally, I actually had a lot, a lot of people contact me and go, we missed the music between the stories. It was, it was such a little thing I was doing. And last week, I admit it, I was in a bit of a hurry to get this done. Um, but it was such this, such this little thing that I, I honestly, you know, I didn't think was really working. And a lot of you missed it. So this week, It'll be back. And with that, let's get on to our first tale. Cue the music. Our first tale takes us back to the year 2012, Dallas, Texas. Philip Ruiz, he's, he's gotten this packaged salad from his supermarket. And I imagine Phil's like a lot of us. He gets home, he's tired. He just rips open the salad, throws it in the bowl, throws some dressing on it, doesn't even really pay attention. Why should he? It's been in the fridge all this time. But then Phil starts to feel kind of weak. Soon that weakness, it turns into pains in his stomach. And then there was the vomiting. And then he went to bed. It's, it's the thing we do whenever we're sick. We crawl into bed. I don't know if it's the right thing. I don't know if it's the wrong thing. Whenever I was younger, if I started to get a cold or didn't feel well, I actually took a walk. And at some point in my life, going for a walk whenever I was sick... It went from making me feel better to making me feel a lot worse. So I'm sure Phil, Phil was just doing what he thought was right. But the pain was so bad, Phil couldn't fall asleep. He decides he's going to get in the shower. And then he could not control himself. Phil loses his balance in the shower. He falls to the floor of that shower and he hits his head. 
He's so weak. The combination of the food poisoning and the fall have made him so weak. He is unable to stand up. He cannot gather the strength to stand up even when part of his body has blocked the shower drain and the water's beginning to fill. He's pushing himself up. He's, he's fighting, but he's got no strength. And he feels that water going into his nose, flooding his lungs. Phil looks around him and he realizes that he's in a room. It's about the size of a normal bedroom. There's the floor of the bathroom. But he can see into strange other rooms all around his bathroom. There were people all around him. To, to Phil's right, there's a man lying on the floor, on all fours, groaning. He hears a woman moaning nearby. And for some reason, Phil can tell what she's thinking. This woman is so, so sad because she's dying. And she has small children that she, she doesn't want to leave behind. Phil realizes he has died. Or maybe not. Maybe he's not completely dead. Maybe it's one foot in the grave. He's, he's on the border. He's as much in the next world as he is in this one. Is it a waiting room? Is it a transitionary place? Is it simply a line to get into the next life? He doesn't know. We don't know. It's at this point that two humanoid beings appear in front of him. All Phil can remember is that they looked like men. He can't remember their faces. He can't remember if they had long hair, if they had beards. He just knows that they're humanoid, but not quite human. The one on Phil's right side looks to the one on the left and says, what is he doing here? He doesn't belong here. Send him back to the shower. And immediately, Phil leaves this waiting room, goes back through a tunnel of light, not white light, colored lights. And he wakes up in the shower, but he's not in his body yet. He's not feeling any pain. He's floating above himself, looking down at his body, and he realizes that only a small part of his head is sticking out of the water. It looks so strange that Phil doesn't even immediately realize he's looking at himself. A few moments, Phil snaps back into his body, and he has just enough strength 
to rise up from the water. Now, like a lot of people who go through this near-death experience, Phil's no longer worried about death. He knows. He knows that he continues to live on forever. He's... He's... Lost motivation. He has no motivation for his career. He has no motivation for money. A lot of things no longer have any meaning to him. And I've seen this happen time after time after time in near-death experiences. They really start to focus on, on love, on, on, on being a good person, for the most part. I, I, I remember one case that I researched. The, the woman had a near-death experience and she began not only to not have any motivation, but really not care for those around her. She would literally take a small barbecue grill into her car, place it on the passenger seat, and cook food on the grill while she was driving. What did she care? She knew that if she died or if she killed anyone, they would be going to a better place, not this dream that we live in, but some place, a place of, and, and many, many people have said this, a place of hyper-reality. Now, of course, that's an extreme case. He's, Phil, like a lot of others, has no desire for really, really nice material goods. Phil himself says he's more spiritual not religious, like organized religion, but much more spiritual than before. And he says, even though, even though I didn't see the Lord or God during my near-death experience, he knows that they exist. He just didn't have enough time. Our next tale takes us back about 20 years. In the Hebrides, the Isle of Iona, the far west coast of Scotland, the teller of this story, an individual named Jadams, they'd never really thought too much about the supernatural. But for some reason, maybe it was going to the Hebrides, for a couple of days before their trip, all they could think about was the Fae. And they decide that on this trip, they're really going to try to make a connection with them. Now, Jadams is traveling solo. They travel through several islands off the west coast of Scotland. And Jadams is going to every fairy hill they can find. They leave little items like uh, a piece of Harris tweed cloth, some flowers, a little bit of food. And as their trip slowly comes to an end, that hope of contacting the Fae 
even though it may have been silly to begin with. That hope kind of dwindles with each passing day. Now, the day before Jadams leaves to go back to the United States, they're sitting on a little bench behind a ferry hill on that tiny little island, Iona. They're looking out. There's a little, they're on a little beach. They're looking out to the sea. And then, it starts pouring rain. Jadams, though, they feel like this is their last chance to contact the Fae. So they sit there right on the bench, right through the rain, refusing to leave. They sit there for about 10 minutes, and they are absolutely drenched. The rain, it, it lightens up just a little bit. And Jadams is watching the seagulls walk on the beach. And Jadams gets this odd thought in their head. What if those birds aren't birds? And then the next thing Jadams realizes is that they feel themselves being yanked. They're pulled backwards, but their body is still on the bench. They find themselves about 50 yards back down the path. And they see it. Two apple-faced doll beings. Very old, very wrinkly. They get the feeling that this is a man and a wife. And they're only about a foot tall. Dressed in country folk clothing. Dark browns, greens, they gnome clothing. Jadams feels incredible love for these two beings. The kind of love that you would feel for a grandparent, that unconditional respect and adoration. Love. These two beings walked Jadams up to the fairy mound they had been sitting behind. And this fairy mound has, and Jadams admits this is cliche, a big wooden door. Just like the door you'd see on the front of a hobbit hole. The door opens, Jadams peers down, and they see a huge ballroom with a million golden fairy lights. Everything has this golden, warm hue to it. Jadam said it, it reminded them of a fairy ball. Jadams finds themselves amongst them. And they seem to have lost their height. Jadams feels the same size of them as them. And just everything is just golden. There are waiters walking around, platters in hand. And they're golden. They're glowing. Taking food and goblets 
from the trays. Jadams is stunned. Lots of little golden beings. They're dancing to music from the Middle Ages and pirouetting. Some are flying. Some are musicians. A waiter comes by with a very large golden platter. And Jadams, inside their head, hears a voice, very loud, very clear. Do not eat or drink of this. Those words snap Jadams out of their stupor. Stops them dead in their tracks. And the next thing they know, they're back in their body on the bench. Didn't see the gnome couple after they opened the door. Don't remember how they get back. They're just sitting there on the bench. It's getting dark. But Jadams is absolutely, absolutely elated. Jadams takes their coat off. It's right before Halloween. It's chilly. And they they were thinking about what had just happened. And then they feel something like wings, the size of an open hand, flutter out the top of the jacket and across their cheek. And they're, they're still a little stunned, but... Jadams is thinking, my God, the moths in this country are huge. And then it hits them. The size of that moth must have been a wingspan that it was a fairy. It was a fairy. Sort of that little thing. Like, here, here's a little something to let you know that what happened really happened. Jadams drops to their knees. It was an amazing adventure. An adventure. It was a one in a billion adventure. Do do the Fae live with us? Sight unseen. Maybe they, they're just experts of camouflage. Maybe they're magic wielders and they're able to hide themselves. Or are they just slightly out of sync with our reality? Able to manipulate time, space, and matter in a way that we can only dream of. Incredible, magical beings from just five seconds in the future or five seconds in the past, just slightly off from us. Just enough that we can meet, but seldom do. Our last tale is going to take us to Zetone. That's a district in Cairo, Egypt. 
Now, this is going to start April 2nd, 1968. There are these two Muslim bus mechanics. And they're looking, they're looking at the roof of St. Mary's Coptic Church. And they see what they think to be a nun. And they're looking at this nun. She's out on, out on the roof. And they go, this, this woman's going to jump and kill herself. This is a woman who's about to commit suicide. One of them calls for the police. The other one, the other one yells, don't jump. And this, this pulls in a crowd. The police, they, they try to try to get the crowd to disperse. And they say, no, this is, this isn't a woman. This is just a reflection of the light from one of the street lamps. And then one of the church custodians said, no, I think that's the Virgin Mary. The crowd goes nuts. And then a few minutes later, the woman disappears. A week later, April 9th, it happens again. Only a few minutes. But after that time, the apparitions are more frequent. Sometimes the Virgin Mary is seen on the roof of this church two or three times a week. And this goes on for years until 1971. It begs the question, was she always appearing up there? And it just, people started to look up. Because we as humans, we have a great big blind spot 180 degrees above us. There were two very famous jewel thieves who eluded capture for most of their career simply by staying higher. They would run across the rooftops. Nobody looks up. The reason... The reason I'm doing this story is there, there, was a, there was a post on Reddit. And yes, I know I complained about Reddit earlier. It's, it's a good and bad. You, you, have to, you have to take the good with the bad. The bad is sometimes stories disappear and it's just, it's a rough place to go. But the good is sometimes you find some real gems. And it's, it's like that. In every, every walk of life, everything you do, there is something there that there's good and bad. In, in my, I hesitate to use this term, but in my real life, I'm, I'm a drumming instructor. And there's a book called A Funky Primer, which is the best book on drumming ever written and the worst book on drumming ever written. The ideas presented in there are fantastic but the way they're written down is an absolute nightmare. I feel the same way about Reddit. It's a dichotomy. It's, it's rough. However, Reddit user OverPT, he made a post, and it was really, really well done. I will link you to the post on the Strange Pathways Facebook page. And I'm also going to throw up some, some pictures of Our Lady of Zewatun. I'm fairly certain I'm mispronouncing that. Yes, people took photos of this apparition of the Virgin Mary. Over PT really put in the work, though. 
over PT has been analyzing these Marian apparitions and he's or she has found some unsettling patterns. Now I'm going to be quoting over PT directly. So here are some facts. Most people know three or four mainstream apparitions, but there are eight apparitions approved by the Vatican and another 11 where they recognize as having a supernatural character. Okay. The Holy Church analyzed over 300 serious cases out of a pool of 25,000. One of the big reasons for rejection is not going along with the Catholic faith or outright contradicting it. So, here's the thing. If the Virgin Mary would appear in the sky 5,000 feet tall, look down and go, it's okay to be gay, start using birth control, the Catholic Church would go, nope, not real. Next point. It is strange to call the study of apparitions Mariology, because the entities showing up rarely ever present themselves as Mary. In many cases, the seers ask the entity several times who they are, and the entity laughs, smiles, but refuses to answer. When they do answer, they are very strict about what you can call them and how to evoke them. People just call it Mary because of the religious assumptions. And over PT, over PT is talking about entities because they appear to be different. In fact, they say bizarre things like, I am the Queen of Roses. Do not confuse me with the Queen of the Rosary. Or, the whole world is degenerating. And because of this, the Son is sending the Lady of all nations, who once was Mary. Fourth point. A vision of Mary happened while the actual Mary was still alive. Point five, although the message is sometimes coded in love and peace, it mostly has negative undertones. They ask for worship and the building of churches in their honor. For hundreds of years, they're appearing and making the same claims. They threaten with the end of the world. They give visions of hell, say that destruction is imminent and will cause immeasurable suffering. Next point. Some of them say they are an emissary of Jesus and that the only path to salvation is through them, that to get to Jesus, you have to pray the rosary and think of them. Next point. They openly ask for sacrifice and acts of reparation. They get children to fast and do self-flagellation. Whipping themselves, hitting themselves with sticks and whips, what have you. Next point. A lot of the requests have common points with occult rituals. The ladies ask for certain symbols to be carried and for certain prayers to be repeated. Next point. They seem to know about future events. I will say this. No one, no one said this better. No one said this better than the writers of the Mothman Prophecies movie. A cockroach on the side of a wall 
may be able to see a car accident happen two miles down the road that you'll never know about. It doesn't make that cockroach smarter than you. It just means it has a different perspective. Next point. It has characteristics similar to the hitchhiker effect in the sense that it follows people who are subjected to the first apparition. More often than not, they happen to specific people, often children, in a group and in a series of events. And the final point, it intercepts with folklore and mythology. Seeing a strange lady dressed in white who speaks the regional language has been reported all through history. In some cases, she is even seen crying or weeping. Now, dear listeners, this is where you come in. I want you to comment on this. Now, you can, you can go over to the YouTube channel. Feel free to comment there. If you'd rather not make your comment public, please hit me up, strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your theories about this. Thank you once again for joining us here on Strange Pathways. Please head over to our Twitter, Pathways Strange. Our TikTok and Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast. Head over to our Facebook. We're going to have a few images up dealing with the tales we had here today. And please, once again... Email us, strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. Be sure to head over to YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. Tell your friends about this. Let's get the word out. Don't be afraid whenever you hear somebody saying, hey, you know what? I, I heard this and this and this. Oh, yeah. Be sure to mention us on some forums. I heard Strange Pathways talk about that. Link the show. Get the word out there. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. Take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>